Glad you're here. We did have a great Sunday last week. Uh, pretty special. Justin didn't even mention his ordination, uh, which is very special also. Uh, we're glad you're here this morning. We're expecting a great day uh, in worship also today. We started a series a few weeks ago titled Grace Too Good to Be True, but it is true. And uh, quickly cover the last couple of weeks. If you missed one of those, they're on our website, the, the audio versions. Uh, started off with the foundation of salvation. We said it isn't based on my performance, but God's promise. It isn't based on what you do or what you don't do. Most of us, that's kind of what we kind of intuitively think, that that's what gets me into heaven or not get into heaven, but that's not it. It's based on God's grace and his promise of, of the gift of salvation if you will just humble yourself and receive it. So that's how you get connected with God. That's how you get into a relationship with God. That's how you become a Jesus follower. Then uh, the second week talked about guilt. Uh, all of us mess up. We do wrong things. We feel guilty about that. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's both. It's good that you feel bad about stuff that you should feel bad about, but you need not to remain in guilt, but claim God's great grace and move on. So you become the person God wants you to be, not by guilt, but by grace. Then last week, we talked about another important topic, and that was God's sustaining grace. The, the Christian life is a marathon, in my case, an ultra marathon. And so it's not about speed, it's about endurance. And so God gives us the grace to endure or sustain us through life. So Christian life is not a matter of my willpower. We've all failed at willpower, right? Said, I'm going to not do this, and we did it, or I'm going to do this, and then we didn't do it. So that doesn't get us through. But God's will and God's power will. So when you commit yourself to doing what God wants, He will give you the power to do that. So today we've got another important topic, and it's called healing grace. Now, I'm going to start off with a story. I've been married almost 39 years, and it's rare that I come up with something my wife didn't know about me, but I did this week. And the fact was that when I was a child, we had two parakeets in our family. She never knew this. I never told her this story. What happened was my grandfather, my father's father, died when I was uh, uh, not quite sure what age, maybe eight years old or so, probably a little older than that, maybe 10. And my grandmother moved in with us. Well, they had these two parakeets, so obviously the parakeets came with her. Uh, I only remember the name of one. That was Petey, Petey the parakeet, because uh, my brother was named Pete, so it was easy to remember. Uh, but anyway, these parakeets came and, and lived with us as long as my grandmother lived with us. Now, one thing I discovered about parakeets are they're messy, really messy. I don't know if you've ever been around them, but I want to tell you a true story about another parakeet. Uh, named Chippy. Now, Chippy was a happy parakeet. He would swing on his, in his cage and, and sing and had a good old time. One day, his owner was going to clean the cage out with a vacuum cleaner. could get up all the mess. And so she takes the end off the vacuum cleaner hose, starts cleaning the cage out. Unfortunately, gets a phone call and drops the hose. And before she could pick up the phone, swish, Chippy got sucked up into the vacuum cleaner. Of course, she's, she, she's uh, frantic. She turns the vacuum off, opens it up, gets him out, and amazingly, he's still alive. But he's filthy, dirty. So she runs to the sink, pours the spigot on full blast to get the dirt off. Of course, Chippy doesn't know what's happened, what's hit him. 
course, then he starts shivering, if you know anything about parakeets. So she gets the blow dryer and starts blasting him with the blow dryer. <laughs> so anyway, he survives all this. A couple days later, the person at call calls back and says, how's your parakeet? And she said, well, he used to swing and sing a lot. Now he just stares. And that's kind of what happens to us sometimes when life kind of hits us hard, things unexpected, hurts us, we kind of just sometimes just become almost zombies. So I want to talk about hurt. Now we all experience hurt, different kinds of hurt, physical hurt, uh, an emotional hurt. Uh, We have scars from those, wounds. I have a scar on my leg where I broke, I got hit by a car and my leg got broken when I was a child. The leg healed up. The leg is fine. I can run a marathon. But the scar is still there, right? And so we have to deal with those wounds and scars in our lives. Probably the most difficult hurts to get over the emotional hurts usually come from relationships. And probably the most difficult part of emotional hurts is what I call uh, hurts from being rejected. Now, you can be rejected by a a parent, you can be rejected by your peers, uh, you know, your friends, or people your age. You can be rejected by a, a partner, or a spouse. Uh, some rejections aren't too difficult. You know, you might not get picked for a certain team, or might not get that part in the play, or you might ask somebody out on a date and they said no, and you just move on. Some of those aren't too difficult to get past, but some hurts, some wounds are deep and really difficult, especially when reject, rejected by parents. Rejected by our children, rejected by uh, maybe an employer, especially if you're rejected by a, by a spouse. <clears throat> We've all experienced hurt. Can we get through them? How Can we get past them? Can we be healed? So I want to start off with this question. How does God heal a broken heart? Now, it's going to be different, I think, than what most of you are going to think. Well, God heals it by making my life easy. No, no, that's not what he does. Uh, he may do that, but that's not. Uh, he, he does it by having people treat me nice. No, that's not how God heals a broken heart. According to what Paul wrote, and we're not going to read the passage, but it's in Romans chapter 12. He said, God heals a broken heart by changing the way we think or changing the way you see. The way you see God, changing the way you see your pain and your hurt, and changing the way you see yourself. Now, it's interesting. You see yourself as a loser. How do you act? You act like a loser, right? See yourself as a failure. You act like a failure. Get a new job. You're going to screw it up, whatever. Now, on the positive side, if you see yourself, for example, as creative, you'll be creative. Now, I always thought I wasn't a creative person until I realized that the Holy Spirit if I'm a Jesus follower, if you're not, that's, that's okay. We're glad you're here. But as a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in me. And the Holy Spirit is the definition of creative. He created everything. So if you're a Jesus follower, you have no excuse to say you're not creative. Now, you might not be artistic, but you are creative. So the way we see ourselves results in the way we act. And the way I'm going to say it's this way. <clears throat> Our beliefs... Well, the way we see things determine our behavior. Our thoughts determine our actions. As I just said, if you see yourself as a loser, you believe that, then you're going to act like that. Now, there's a third component here. Your beliefs determine your behaviors, which determine your feelings. And my, 
wife and I talk about this a lot when we do marriage counseling. Because when you have marriage problems, those, you know, great feelings when you got married aren't there anymore, right? You have feelings of bitterness and, and other feelings, anger, hostility, whatever. <clears throat> and what we try and do is change our feelings. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be. And it doesn't work, does it? So what you need to do is change your actions. It's easier to act your way into feeling than feel your way into an action. So even though you don't feel kind or generous or nice to, in this case, your spouse, then you start treating them kind or nice. And it's amazing. It really works. My wife and I give testimony when we were in marriage counseling. That's what our marriage counselor did with us. And uh, that began our healing. Act the way you want to feel, and the feelings will come. Now, back to the way you see yourself, the way you believe about yourself. Is everything you believe about yourself true? Uh, even broader, everything that you've believed in your lifetime, is it true? Of course not. We all aren't perfect. We all don't know everything. And, and that's one reason judging is so bad. We judge people. We don't really know all the facts, do we? And so that's what it, part of it's bad. Uh, so it's not all true. So if you had a parent that said you're, not, you're worthless, you're not going to amount to anything, is that true? No, that's not true. Now, it can be on the, on the positive side, too. You know, I compliment my wife and, and husbands. You should compliment your wife. But my wife sometimes comes back with this response. You're seeing me through the eyes of love. And that's true, right? That's a good thing. But it doesn't necessarily make it not true what I, uh, what I am saying, what I see. You ever been to a fun house where they have the warped mirrors? <clears throat> I used to like to go because I've always been tall and thin and actually extremely thin at one point in my life. So I like to see the mirror where I was shorter and, and wider, okay? Some of you probably, it's the opposite of what you wanted to do, right? But the problem is what I saw in the mirror was not true, right? I had a, a visual that wasn't true. And so we all have visuals about ourselves, about our hurt, and also about God that aren't true, now, as we grow up as children, we get a lot of this from adults, especially our parents. Now, does anybody have perfect parents? Yeah, Micah did. Me, right? <laughs> we needed a good laugh. Thank you, son. Anyway, <laughs> we none of us had perfect parents, so we don't have perfect beliefs, or we don't have perfect vision. <clears throat> now, who will tell us the complete truth about ourselves? The only person who knows the complete truth. That's God himself, right? So if you want to know <laughs> what you should feel, or believe about yourself, how you should act, you need to find out the truth. So we're going to ask the question, what does God say about me? And we're going to look at part of the Bible. And I usually tell you who wrote it, but the, we're going to start in the, in the first verse, and the first verse tells us who wrote this. And it says, this is a letter from Paul. Now, Paul was an interesting guy because he started off as a really smart, educated, committed follower of Judaism. 
In fact, he was so committed that when this Christianity thing came along, he thought it was a, it was a cult, and he put all his time and energy into persecuting Christians, getting them arrested, and actually stood by and watched as Stephen was executed. Then he had this dramatic encounter with the living God, and his belief changed, right? He said, no, this isn't a cult. This is the, this is the truth. And so he became a committed, highly educated, intelligent follower of Jesus. And so his actions completely changed. And he went around starting all these churches. So his belief changed, so his actions changed. At this point in his life, near the end, when he wrote this letter to a church he started in Ephesus, and he's probably in prison at this time. He says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. And so if you're a faithful follower of Christ Jesus here this morning, he's addressing you and I. May our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, it's an important question to ask yourself, what would it take for you to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ? And a couple of these folks and two others stepped across that line into baptism. Baptism is one of those things that I, we think is important for you to, to do to become a faithful follower of Jesus. But there's lots of other things. So you have to decide that. Now we're going to go through the first eight verses of uh, this letter. And I want you to notice that the word Jesus or Christ or Lord shows up eight times in eight verses. And so that's the focus, that's the center of what's, what's written here, what we're going to read because <clears throat> grace obviously comes through Jesus. <clears throat> uh, then he goes on. All praise to God. And <clears throat> what does praise mean? To speak well of. All right. So you and I are supposed to speak well of God, even in when we're hurting, because right? sometimes it's hard. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ. Now, everybody's blessed. Just the fact that you're alive, that you're breathing, uh, that you have clothes and food. And, you know, we all have all kinds of blessings. But as a Jesus follower, then you step into a higher category called spiritual blessings. These are things that you have because you're a follower of Jesus that you didn't have. We sometimes talk about spiritual gifts. You're able to do some things that you weren't able to do before. they're listed sometimes as love, joy, peace. So there's a peace that comes, and there's a joy that comes, and these other things that are spiritual blessings. The other thing about spiritual blessings, they are eternal, right? Anything we have here on this earth is going to end. It might be in the new earth, new heaven and new earth, but uh, they, they are eternal. Some of these blessings here on earth, uh, we lose. We lose the life eventually, don't we? Also, the Christian life, All of life is a journey, isn't it? And when you go on a journey, you need to have a plan and you need to have provisions. And as a Jesus follower, this is describing the plan and it provides the provision that we talked about last week, the sustaining grace to get us through to the end of the journey. And he goes on. Even before he made the world, this is amazing to think, Even before he made all this, God loved us and chose us in Christ. I remember a week or so ago I said the most familiar reference to a Jesus follower in Scripture is the phrase in Christ. All right? A hundred and some times. So if you're a Jesus follower, you're in Christ. 
So he loved us and chose us in Christ, not because we're lovable, but because we're in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Uh, most of you know, a couple weeks ago, we had three babies born to our congregation. Actually, all three of them are here this morning. Let's congratulate the parents. Congratulations. All right. Your work's just beginning, right? <laughs> all right. Now, how do you see a newborn baby? You see them faultless in their eyes. They've never done anything wrong, have they? Now, it'll quickly change, or not how quickly, but it'll change pretty quickly. But at, at birth, they are faultless. Now, that's the way God sees us. There goes one now. <laughs> the way God sees us is faultless. Now, we all know we, we've screwed up all kinds of ways. But God doesn't see us that way. He sees us through the eyes of love, like I see my wife, right? Uh, he sees us as faultless. And why? Because he chooses to do that. That's the only reason. Like I choose to, to love my wife. God cho- chooses to love you and I. What's the opposite of being rejected? It's being accepted or being chosen. And so that's what God has done for you and I when we step across the line and accept his uh, salvation by grace. Uh, then he goes on. God decided, again, in advance, this was his plan, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. Again, this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. And if God wanted to do it, who's going to stop him? Can you stop him? Can I stop him? Can anybody stop him? No. He's almighty God. So if he decided this is what he wanted to do, guess what happened? He did it, right? That's what he wanted to do. And it's amazingly, this brought him great, great pleasure. But I think we can kind of understand this a little bit. Have you ever loved an unlovable person? Have you ever shown grace to somebody, forgiven somebody that, shouldn't, that didn't deserve to be forgiven? How did it make you feel? There's a, a, a certain pleasure about that, isn't it? It's kind of amazing how that works. And so God finds great pleasure in saying, you all are screw-ups, but I'm going to treat you like you're perfect. His amazing grace. Then he goes on. <clears throat> so we praise God, speak well of, for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So he just doesn't sprinkle it out on us, does he? He pours it out on us. Another, another verse here is going to say, it, <clears throat> he showers it on us. Excuse me. <clears throat> now, it doesn't show up in this translation, but in some translations, the word accepted. Again, the opposite of rejected. Accepted shows up. And it's the same word that's used in Luke chapter 1, where the angel's talking to Mary. And he says, you are highly favored. That's the exact same word that is used in this verse. You and I are highly favored because of God's grace. Then he goes on. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sin. You have been purchased. If you're a Jesus follower, you've been purchased. You've been bought. Your debt has been paid. You were a slave, and now you are bought. But in this case, instead of bought in, into being a slave 
to someone else, you are bought into freedom. So you're no longer slave to sin and slave to the evil one. Now you are set free again because God wanted to. He wanted, he wanted to grace you and I. And the reason he could do that was because of the blood of his son. And there it is. He is showered, not sprinkled his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. So we get kindness, we get wisdom, and we get understanding. And then we're going to skip down to another verse, and then we'll be finished with this part. I also pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. That's kind of the, the caveat. You've got to believe you can tap into the power. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, I don't know what you think God wants you to accomplish, or maybe you know what God wants you to accomplish, but whatever it is, you can do it because I've never tried to raise anybody from the dead, but that's the kind of power you and I have access to. So we never have an excuse for not doing what God wants you to do. Because he will give you the power to do that. Now, if you're trying to do something else, he's not going to give you the power. So I wanted to sum this up this way, and this is really important. When I see me, or I believe about me, the way God sees me, or believes about me, then my heart is healed. I'm going to show you a video clip from, from Mall, Mall Cop as he talks about his heal, hurting. This is the old one, not the new one. Are you going to have pie? Not tonight, Ma. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm gonna want some pie. <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> no, I'm in now, Ma. Get the pie now. Oh, okay. You said it, and I just kind of got that stuck in my head now. And can't really get it out. Pie. Here we go. It really helps heal, and uh, you know. Not always, but sometimes you got to do like the kids say and just say, whatever. Kids don't talk like that. Some do, sweetheart. The older ones, okay? I hear them in the mall. You know? Oh, peanut butter. It just fills the cracks of the heart. Go away, pain. What? Polly. Oh, no, come on. I'm not ready for this right now. Dad. Please. We just don't want to see you go through another holiday alone. But I'm not alone. I've got you too. You know, and besides, Black Friday's coming, so my dance card's going to be pretty full. What? It's the busiest shopping day of the year. Yeah, I should have known better than try to explain it to civilians. I, I wish I had a coworker here, like uh, Tyler. Hey, uh, you know, Black Friday's coming. Oh, gee, Paul, you don't have to tell me Black Friday's coming. What do you think I've been walking around here with the eyes of an eagle? We prepare. Dad, what does all that have to do with being happy for the rest of your life? You said, and I quote, if I don't have a girlfriend by November, I'll let you sign me up for perfectmatch.com. That was last year. Okay. The next part's hilarious too, but anyway. Um, I didn't know peanut butter could could uh, heal the cracks in a heart. Uh, but we do some of those things, don't we? Don't we use food sometimes to try and, uh, as therapy when we don't feel well? Um, our work, finding our, our value in our work, uh, obviously those things don't work, do they? So, 
Let's look at what God says or what God sees when he looks at you and I. First he says, I'm acceptable. Again, not because I am, but because of his grace, he decides that he's going to accept me. And we've tried to be, become acceptable all our lives. It judges sometimes what we wear, our hairstyles, etc. You know, most of us wouldn't do something weird because we think people would, would reject us. Remember when you were children and somebody would dare you to do something? And sometimes it was dangerous, but you would do it anyway just to be accepted? Uh, as teenagers, my brother and I were working on construction on laying hardwood floors and two-story house and there was a big pile of dirt outside and I said to him, I dare you to run across that roof and jump in that dirt. And of course, what did he do? My little brother. He ran across the roof and jumped in the dirt. He could have gotten hurt. He didn't get hurt. But we do dumb things just to try and be accepted. Um, sports, for example. <clears throat> it's hard to deal with, you know, being, you know, when they do the pickup sides thing. I remember in, in gym class, and this guy, the two popular guys would pick, and you get near the end. You just don't want to be the last person, especially if it's odd. If it's odd, you're just standing there last, and neither one of them wants you, and one of them finally says, oh, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take them. But they don't want to, all right? So it's difficult when you're not been accepted. Fortunately for me, I have one great example of acceptance. Almost 39 years ago, I asked a lady by the name of Debbie Jenkins if she would marry me. And I'm not very lovable, but she somehow decided <laughs> to do that. And she chose me over those guys she dated in high school and those, told you about those guys down in Louisiana that summer, right? And that she chose me out of billions of guys in the world, right? So she accepted me. <clears throat> I don't know who you has, who has rejected you? I think one of the most difficult rejections in life is by a, a spouse. If you've been divorced, you've experienced uh, tremendous pain and, and, and a wound. Um, those family relationship issues. Let me just say this to you. Maybe you feel rejected by your parents. And maybe they're not even around anymore. You still felt rejected by them. You don't need their acceptance. We usually think that if I was just better, if I was more perfect, my parents would accept me, my spouse would accept me. Well, one person pulled that off, that perfection thing, and he was accepted by everybody, right? No, even Jesus Christ wound up, rejected, nailed to a cross. So it's not an issue of perfection. That won't even do it. So God sees us as acceptable. Secondly, he sees us as valuable. Valuable. Sometimes we connect our value to what we do or what we have. And so I want to make sure you didn't understand that our valuables, our value is not based on our valuables. That's the next slide, I believe. Yeah, there it is. The va- our va- your value has no relationship to your valuables. And if you've gone through a time of unemployment, which I have in the past, uh, it's difficult, especially as a guy, right? Uh, but your value has no relationship to your values. There's some people with a lot of stuff that still don't feel uh, that they're worth much. So next question is this. How do you judge the value of anything? Remember when Josh and Mike were teenagers, they would buy comic books and say, these books, comic books are going to be worth 10 times this later. And I said, mm, you don't know that. <laughs> what determines the value of anything? Two things. Who owns it? And what is somebody willing to pay for it? Uh, Jared and Tom have guitars up here. And I don't know, for $500, $1,000, $2,000. If they were owned by, who's a famous guitar player? 
uh, Ted Atkins, somebody, I don't know. You, you, you pick one. If that same guitar was owned by them, how much would it be worth? Same amount of money, guys? Don't think so, right? <laughs> 10 times, 20 times, 100 times worth more. Same guitar. Why was this worth, worth so much? Because of who owned it. And what's somebody willing to pay for it? Okay. I don't know what your house is worth. Say you think your house is worth $300,000. If you put it on the market and the best bid, Krista, that anybody can get for it is $250,000, what is it worth? $250,000. Exactly. So, what about you? Who owns you? And what are they willing to pay for you? Well, if you're a Jesus follower, God owns you. We already talked about that. He purchased you, right? So, he bought you. He paid the debt. Uh, the debt's been paid in full. You don't owe anything. So he owns you, which makes you the most valuable thing in the universe because God Almighty owns you. And what was he willing to pay? The most highest, the highest price in the universe. The life of his only son. Cost can't get any higher than that, can it? So you are valuable. Thirdly, you are lovable. Now, again, this is because of God's grace, not because we're innately lovable. Some of us aren't. But something, two, two big differences between God's love and your love and my love. First, it's consistent. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but has anybody here loved somebody once upon a time they don't love anymore? Or vice versa? Happens, doesn't it? Our love isn't consistent. It's fickle. Sometimes it's conditional. And that's the second thing. God's love is unconditional. That hard for us to comprehend because we love somebody. We say, I love you because you're pretty or I love you because you're, you love me or I love you because you're nice to me or I love you forever. And then what if they're not pretty anymore? What if they don't like you anymore? What if they, whatever, all right? So the situation changes, our love changes, doesn't it? Otherwise, there would never be one divorce, right? Never be one. But our lo- love is, isn't consistent and it's unconditional, But God's love is. So God says, I love you. Just the way you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do. If you go to church, don't go to church. Read your Bible, don't read your Bible. Put money in the offering, don't put money in the offering. Now, all these things are good. You should do them. I think it, 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 it does. It benefits your relationship with God, but it doesn't change how much God loves you and I. Uh, fourthly, God says, God sees me as forgivable. And for some of us, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? I'll tell you a story about a guy who's going to his cabin in, in the mountains, and he was driving there, he ran out of gas, and he's really frustrated, so he gets out of the car, and he forgets to put the brake on, and the car drifts over the cliff. And so his car is demolished. So now he's really frustrated. So he says, I'm almost at the cabin, I'll keep walking. So he starts walking up the hill, and this big thunderstorm comes through, and he's just drenched, and he's starting to shiver, and he's cold, and he sees the cabin, and he said, finally, and just as he says, thinks that, lightning hits the cabin, it burns up, and he cries out, why God? And God answers back, because some people just tick me off. <laughs> Not very funny, but some of us had those feelings, haven't we? When life isn't going too well, we think, what have I done? God, I'm, you know, you're getting even, you know, you're, you're holding a grudge. Well, let me just tell you. God doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't get even. He's not mad at you. Otherwise, these other things wouldn't be true, right? 
So he sees you as forgivable. Like the lady that came to church every Sunday and told the pastor as she was leaving, you know, God really convicted me about this this week. And the next week, God really convicted me about this this week. Week after week, God really convicted me. God really convicted me. Finally, the pastor just asked her, does God ever say anything nice to you? And that's the way we are sometimes. We just think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's about all the, all the negative stuff, the bad stuff. No, God sees you as acceptable and valuable and lovable and forgivable. There's some bad theology going around, and, and some of you may have this. We have this picture that when we die, we're going to go up to, to the gates of heaven. There's going to be judgment, and God's going to you know, have this movie picture of, of your whole life. Not only pe- things that you kept secret nobody saw, but even things you thought. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, that may be what happens. But if you're a Jesus follower, is, is that sound like heaven? That sounds like hell, doesn't it? We all done things, thought things we don't want anybody to know. But as a Jesus follower, how many of your sins are forgiven? You can say it out loud. All of them. And once they're forgiven, what, what does God say? They're gone. So there is no movie that exists to show your sin because you've been forgiven because of God's grace and the gift of his son. And lastly, we'll finish up. I am capable. I am capable. He tells us there's an epidemic of low self-esteem, especially among women. I don't know why, especially among women, but uh, that's what they say. So uh, I want you to understand something about self-esteem. Put that up. Your self-esteem is defined by what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. And that's why we can talk about, we don't have a lot of time to talk about codependency. And this is what happens when, you know, my happiness is based on what I think you think about me. And if you're married, this is hard not to influence you, isn't it? <clears throat> so who do we need to make the most important person in our life? The person that just says that we're lovable and forgivable and acceptable and capable, Right? And so we make God the most important person in our lives. We don't need to struggle with self-esteem. So I don't know what pain or hurt, suffering you're going through. Uh, group decide. I know some of you are going through some really tough things. I'm sorry, but more important, God's sorry. And you need God's healing and you need the support of uh, a, a church family. And hopefully you're plugged into a small group where you can, can receive that. So the bottom line is this. Who are you going to believe? Some uh, pleasable parent from the past, some boyfriend or girlfriend that, that ditched you or ex-spouse? Or are you going to believe what God says about you? I'll finish with this story. <clears throat> uh, Professor uh, Fred Craddock and his wife were vacationing in, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They're sitting down at a table, and this stranger comes up to him and says, Hey, how are you doing? Are you on vacation? Are you having, having a good time? And they said, Yeah, we're on vacation. We're having a good time. And uh, he said, Hey, what do you do for a living? And he said, This will get rid of this guy. I'm a preacher, uh, professor of preaching. Who wants to talk to a preaching professor, right? And he said, Oh, you're a preacher. I don't, let me tell you a story. He said, I was born an illegitimate child. Never knew my dad. And... Uh, Consequently, in the town I grew up in, I didn't have many friends, and uh, people weren't very nice to me. They picked, up, picked on me, etc. One day, I heard this a new preacher in town. He was pretty good, so I never went to church, but I decided I'd go to church. So I went, and the guy was pretty good, so I kept going back week after week. 
but I come in late, like some of you folks, <laughs> and leave early so he didn't have to interact with anybody. But one Sunday, he just kind of got caught up in things and just sat there till the end of the service. So then he's trying to, trying to sneak out, and all of a sudden, this big hand puts on his shoulder. And it's the, it's the preacher, and he says to this, uh, what's your name, son? Uh, what family do you belong to? So his heart starts to sink. And before he could respond, the preacher says to him, I know what family you belong to. I see the family resemblance. You're a child of God. And then he says, change my life forever. And he walks off. So the steward, uh, I mean stewardess, the waitress comes up and says, you know who that is? Or who that is? And I said, no, it's just some stranger. He said, no, that's Ben Hooper, two-time governor of the state of Tennessee. Changed his life when he saw himself as God sees him. So, when you see you the way God sees you, your heart can and will be healed. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for healing grace. We all have wounds, we all have hurts, we all have scars. And God, it's hard not to see ourselves as less than lovable, less than acceptable, less than capable. But we thank you that that's the way you see us because, simply because of your grace. And that's the way we should see ourselves. And that's the way we, see, we should see other people. And God, we want to claim that healing grace this morning. Heal our hearts for your glory and for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.